Welcome everybody. This is our pilot episode of the Dating in Real Life podcast. I am your host, Larissa, and I am kicking this off trying to set an example. Lead by example, I always try to do, and that usually means a lot of vulnerability on my end. I am especially nervous, not only because, yeah, I'm going to kick this off and we're going to, we're going to really get into the podcast with a lot of other singles talking about real life, deep and honest look at relationships, sex, dating, self-discovery, and how we could potentially be single, be happy in singlehood, and still live our best life as we search for and I guess hopefully uh, gain the love of our life, a healthy, loving relationship of maybe one person or a community of people that help us feel fully fulfilled. And um, that is a big topic in and of itself. But today I have my dearest friend, Bill Uliveri here, who has been a very close friend since 2009 and has been my bestie for well over a decade. So I have him here because, and he's married with uh, my, we, we used to live across the street. So he has um, four beautiful children and a very integrated life in, here in the community. Um, he has agreed to uh, be my interviewer, interviewee, interviewer, interviewer, because I want to be real with all of you listeners. And there really isn't anybody else in this world that could ask me very difficult questions and call my, my BS when I might get protective or closed off. And um, yeah, I'm gonna call this out. I don't like how this is going, but that's okay. Um, and I, before I ask the rest of you to answer these questions, I wanted to put myself out there and, and take the jump myself. So Bill, I am super grateful. You are a life-changing friend in my life. And I am super honored to honor our friendship by putting you out here on the first, uh, the first podcast. Thank you for doing this with me. I'm super excited. You know, as they used to say for the St. Pauli girl beer commercials, you never forget your first. So thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this journey that you've been on, Larissa. Honestly, the honor uh, and the friendship is just beyond words. But I don't want to bore our listeners with uh, the, the details of the last 12 uh, and the way that we've shown up in many different ways. Um, but I want to get right to the questions, if that's okay with you. So yeah. let's get to the questions that you want to ask your cohort and uh, you're going to do it first. You're going to lead by example. So number one question, what misconceptions of love and relationships did you grow up believing? What misconceptions of love and relationships did you grow up believing? Um, I grew up in a, a very well-to-do household. My father was a orthopedic surgeon and my mother was a nurse. And then when I came around, she stopped working and 
there was a lot of kind of typical lessons, I think, that came from that traditional household where the man goes to work and the woman stays home and takes care of the kids and the house and, and all of that. So there's some of those I, I think are pretty typical. And not to say that I don't value the balance of feminine and masculine energy and how they show up when they are executed um, you know, in a healthy way, because that is part of that role. I think what I learned mm, was that there, that, that went, so I, I was the oldest. So I then learned I needed to take, take over. I was like the second parent, you know, my dad was always gone and hardly ever around. And when he was around, it was late at night and he wanted to watch Star Trek. And like, there wasn't this, it didn't feel like there was a two parent parent household. I know, I mean, my parents were together until I was a teenager. So, but my whole life, it didn't feel like there were two parents there. So I'm the oldest of three girls and I've, I tried to take some of the, the weight off. I would do a lot of the, like the typical man jobs and my mom did too. Um, but like mowing the yard, taking the trash out, picking up sticks, like a lot of that, those masculine doing, acting, um, you know, building those kind of things were, were what I took. Now I have a personal tendency to like those things. And I don't know if that's because that's who I am or that's how I was raised. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but either way. So one of the lessons that was a misconception was that, um, women didn't need men that, I was fully capable. I was doing all these difficult jobs. I was getting dirty. You know, I was cleaning out the bottom of a, of a lawnmower with my hands. It was off. Right. But like, I'm in there, I'm getting it. I'm cleaning stuff. I'm taking care of the household stuff. My mom, you know, was rocking the, the other stuff. I mean, between the two of us, besides the money. Now I know this is another thing we, we needed money and we got the money, but we didn't, Never mind. I, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm, yeah, we're gonna have to redo this. Um, good practice round. Let's try it. Keep going. Um, was that this is unfiltered in real life. Just keep going. Eh. Wait. So, um, so when you talk about your mom and your dad, did they, did they, were they affectionate with each other? Did you see love in your household or was it just mm -hmm. this kind of dutiful contract contractual relationship where your dad worked, made money and came home and, and you don't need no man because he was there not around doing lawn mowing and fixing windows and changing light bulbs and things like that. Yeah, no, it wasn't even like, if you're looking at my face, I'm really like really searching for any kind of connection of a relationship of a marriage. Like the, it, it, it was like, he, maybe he would have dinner with us sometimes. And when he did, it was just like, I don't know. There wasn't a relationship so much. I think I did see him smack my mom on the butt once. And like, that was something. Uh -huh. And not, and I, I was like, ew, or what, what is that? And like how she just, she didn't respond in an affectionate way. She didn't respond. She was just like, like, that's just like nothing happened. She just kept just washing like, the dishes. Happened? Right. She just was just doing, didn't even phase her. Not one bit. Yeah. Um, which, I'm just realizing now was a lesson. And one of the other lessons was about 
you know, what your body's for. Right. And it was just a lot of, that's a whole other thing, but a lot of our bodies, a female body, my body was here to be enjoyed by men, by a man, hopefully a man, but men in general. Right. And then, um, that's really what they were there for, uh, the men and women, that's how they interacted. I understood that my dad and my mom had sex. That's how I was here. Obviously I understood that biological piece, but, um, the relationship, there was no, uh, there wasn't any connection that I could sense or feel. And it just felt like he was like someone in the family who showed up every once in a while. And then, um, you know, when he was around, he was tired and grumpy and stressed and it wasn't connecting at all. It was more just, were there daddy, I'm sorry, I'm going off Go to talk about that. I mean, maybe we just spend like a whole episode on one question. Cause I think I could, I could easily do that. Did you feel that your dad was connected to you insofar as there were daddy daughter dances? Did he take you out to play tennis? Was it sneak out on a Sunday morning for coffee and breakfast at your favorite pancake house? Um, was it like any of those things or was it just, you know, so my dad now, um, tries really hard to remind us of good memories. Not, he doesn't try really hard. He he's done it a couple times where he'll like send myself and my sister's pictures, a picture of something that he remembers was a really good time trying to generate like, Hey guys, remember me? Remember we used to have good times. Um, and it's really sad because all of us are like, this is the only picture of, of what, of us looking like we're having fun. And we all have bad memories of that moment. Like we're wrestling, we're like all on his back. So it went in age order. So there's me. And then my two sisters are like, we're all like a dog pile. And all I like think of when I look at that picture is how we used to wrestle and he used to lick my face. Like, from the chin all the way up to my forehead. Like, that's what I remember. Huh. I don't remember like it being a fun tickle monster thing. Like, no, that's really awkward and awful for me to remember that stuff. So I have a really, like, obviously this is a bad relationship. This is very toxic. I, I've never felt connected to him. Even from my earliest memory, it's not been good. Um, which of course leads to a lot of, unhealthy images and ideas about men. And, um, I grew up thinking all men cheat. Um, this is just in their nature. I even wrote a paper trying to research whether or not my, this belief, this thing that I've just witnessed in my family of men cheating, of men getting divorced, men leaving their wife, like it's, it's throughout my family. Um, if this is a real thing that I should just accept, I've just kind of accepted it, but I knew deep down that there was like something, I wanted something else. I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be, you know, the fate of all men. And I wrote a paper on it in college and did, it wasn't hard to do a lot of research, understanding the biological needs and like how men, their DNA, uh, the instinct is to, inseminate, inseminate, inseminate young women, spread their seed, get it into those fertile 20, 18 to 32 year olds, right? Even 30 is a little too old, like twenties. It doesn't matter what age, you could be 60 years old. 
you see a 20 year old and there's a part of you that wants to be like, yes, I want that. I want to put my seed into that beautiful fruit so it can grow and my DNA can spread. Yes. Right. Well, that'll be for another podcast. I'll give the man perspective someday on that. I think you're okay. close, but I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to argue hundred percent against that. I would say there right. is definitely a natural connection between, uh, it's, I think statistically older men are attracted to younger women and younger women are attracted to more older, mature, decisive, uh, self-confident men. Uh, and so I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think we have to acknowledge the biology that we have. Um, yeah. And so let me ask you this question then, Larissa, if you had to write your paper today, I'm going, I'm, because you've given me the power and full discretion on this interview, we're going to do the other three questions on separate podcasts because there's so much right here in, in what we've okay. done. I like to focus on this. So would you say that if you had to write that same term paper today, how different would it be than Larissa from uh, 22 years ago? Honest, that's a great question. Honestly, I still believe in the natural drive of our DNA and the way that not only does your DNA want to continue and it has an instinctive uh, conversation with your body to make that happen, um, that you know, men want to continue on by spreading their seed. Women want to being the bearers of the fruit, want to, and find attractive men that are able to care for them that are more into commitment and loyalty, um, provide you need, you know, we are attracted to ways that you can provide both physically and emotionally, um, because we care about the baby that we want to be carrying, you know, so I, there is so much to that. And that's part of why I'm really still driven to believe in the essential experience of sex, of sexual intimacy, and how our best lived life is including sex. If you take the act of sex out, now we can get into the emotional, mm -hmm. the depths of that. Um, you know, you're not, you're not touching on all your senses, right? It's not, it's like, you're getting air, you're getting food, but like sex is up there in my mind on, on, I, I want to say need, but need in a, in a loose way. Like, it's not like, I'm not going to die if I don't have sex. That's true. Okay. So misconception. But so if misconception was the way your dad treated your mom or the way your dad interacted with you and your two sisters, those were misconceptions. Now let's just go back. I'm just going to ask you one more question. Was there anything, um, don't take this, like, was there anything that they did right? Like, what would you say were, or, or, or I'll give you another optional question. You talked a lot about your dad and the misconceptions of love and relationships and what your perspective of men are, that there are no men that don't cheat, or there's men only want to spread their seed. My question to you now is then let's take a look at the feminine side. Can you, as a female, own misconceptions or maybe true beliefs that your mom or other people in your cohort may have miscommunicated to you. Like maybe you misread it as a young child, but now you understand things differently. Just like when your dad kind of tapped your mom on the rear end. So you're, you have free will to answer which any one of the two questions you would like. Well, and even as you're asking that, I realized I didn't really answer the question as to what would you be writing now? I wanted to okay. affirm that I still believe what I read and what mm -hmm. I wrote about, but I am so now on the other side of this, I firmly believe in the beauty of a man's soul. 
I, I see that it's not, they, they don't really want to use my body for sex. They don't want to just bump uglies and do the deep. I mean, yes, if that's what they can get, right. Because it is such a different kind of need um, that there's just a different drive that, that pulls us both to this beautiful act. Um, bumping uglies. I know you like made a face. I never heard that term until today. So I'm, oh, I'm, really? I'm tr- yeah, go ahead. Keep That's going. Um, so I think I'm on the other side and I would love to write that paper about the complexities about men that this, the world doesn't see. I have been blessed beyond belief by getting to know some truly beautiful sensitive, emotional, super masculine men. Like that doesn't, I don't think many women get that experience. And I have been, and and Bill, you're one of them, right? You're in touch with your feelings. You can talk about this stuff, but you show up and you are protective of the women that you, you are, you speak your mind in terms of honor and love and truth. You are after a challenge. You're constantly climbing that, that, mountain of self-growth of self-improvement for yourself and for your community like that is a world that i don't i don't think many people get to experience in a in a gentle-minded man right like there's this perfect balance of of energy in you and several others that has blown my mind to be like wow men are really like this it's capable it's possible that men are capable of a deep emotional connection, of deep intimacy, of, of not just thinking with their penis and wanting to go just use your body for sex and um, that they can actually see me, see who I am and, and, and hold space for the fact that I've, I've come from some traumatic places and I don't have to be perfect for you to love me and I don't have to work my ass off for you to love me. Like all of these things that I haven't had until just a couple years ago um, has now been shifted into a mind blowingly open perspective of how there needs to be more space for men to be men and also be emotional and uh, honest. I mean, we're just- It's not easy. Speaking as a man, I'm telling you, we don't get that kind of space or encouragement generally. Uh, all you have to do is watch the commercials during the Super Bowl weekend. They're just dumb, stupid, fat, beer drinking idiots that are, you know, and, and, and again, this isn't, <laughs> maybe I should do, right, one of these podcasts with you, but, uh, you know, it's, it's I'm not going to, and the conversation is also very pro-woman these days, like men are just these creatures that have ruined the entire world. And we can talk about that another day. So were there any other, any other misconceptions about love and relationships, say maybe not just in your own household, but maybe uh, extended peripherally, peripherally with other family members, or maybe even people in your community? Because you kind of came from small town country girl moves to big city, Chicago's suburb, right? And you're a teacher at one of the most prestigious schools in this area. And like, has that, has, is, was your perception skewed by being in a small town or really are these things that are just so fundamental across all economic and geographic surfaces that maybe the, mis- maybe the misperceptions are, are true here as well as they were like in Southern Honestly, Illinois? Honestly, I, I, I never really thought that, but I think 
I probably had an advantage being um, on a farm often. Um, I, I think there's a really beautiful balance of, of masculine energy when it comes to a farm. And I, my dream world here is like to be on a farm with my man and, and we do the chores and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the thing that's lacking in the today's world of technology is that you don't, men aren't moving. They aren't using their body. They're not generating this kind of energy that I think is, is more natural than sitting at a desk. It feels so good. And even for me to, to be moving and to doing things and to be acting out the act of building and creating when you sit at a computer all day, every day, something dies inside, you know, the light kind of goes out on this like adventurous spirit and this like, oh, like this tackling the world kind of thing. It's all yeah. cerebral. It's all mental. Yeah. And, and that's not. I see it in my boys, like you, they can do good works with their brain, but like they need to get up and move. They need to physically pick up the Legos and do stuff. They need to go outside and throw sticks, like just move things. Boys have to break stuff. They really yes. do. It's, there was a famous book, not that long ago, maybe 10 years it came out. It was like the dangerous boys club book or something like that. And it was, you know, how to make a BB gun, how to make a oh, slingshot. Boys. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Book. I have two copies. <laughs> oh, good, good, because I think that's important. Okay, let's go back to uh, misconceptions about love and relationships. Larissa, I know that you, we can never go back and change the course of history. I mean, we'd like to fantasize about that in Star Trek episodes or in science fiction. But if you could go back in time and change a few things about love and relationships, whether it be your mom, your dad, aunts and uncles, uh, your position, like if you could just be like Samantha Stevens from Bewitched, right, and twinkle your nose and make things all different and better so that you could be a healthier person. And again, knowing that this is part of the journey, right? We all are born in a certain space. We all have baggage. We all have mommy and daddy issues. So how do we, how do we, I don't want to change it. I'm just saying, what would you, what would you change if you could, or if that was a thing? Well, and I, of course, would go back and tweak all these things about other people. Like maybe my first instinct is like, oh, I would, but that's one of the things that I've learned is like, no, my journey has been my journey for a reason. Like it has been designed for me. It's not anybody else. Yeah. And one of the things that I know a hundred percent that I, if I could, if I would have been in the right mindset, I should have done therapy when my parents got divorced. I, I was the only one that didn't do therapy. My other mm. two sisters did. And they, they have their own battles, of course, with different things, but they're in ha- happily married, or ha- they have happy marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never gave up their self-worth the way I did. They never, um, like the things that I accepted in my marriage and, and I didn't throw red flags about, I didn't make a big deal about is baffling to me. Like now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, I would smack that girl and shake her and be like, what the hell are you doing? You're just, you're like watching this big tractor come at you and let it roll over you over and over and over again. And you just get right back up and you'd like, okay, how can I help? How can I make this better? How can I love you even more? Like I was just, oh my gosh, I'm like that beaten dog that just keeps coming back. And I, I was never, I wasn't hit. 
I, I didn't mean that, but I just, I think if I could go back and fix that piece, all of it, all of it stemmed from not having a, a solid example of what a quality man is and knowing that they're out there, that there are quality men out there. I, I just okay. didn't know that. Here's your other global challenge. If you could change the quality of men, what would that look like? How do you, how do you do that? Big question. <laughs> no, this is good. Um, I, I had lots of answers. I, I just, one leads to another. Like I would want our culture to embrace men to be more fluid in terms of like, I know you don't like the word fluid, flu, like in terms of I don't like the word moist. feminine energy. <laughs> Fluid's okay. Um, but like how, I, I think we need a better definition of what a man is. And I don't even like having a definition, right? Because someone, uh, a, a penis bearing, uh, you know, human, for them to identify as a man, what does that mean versus, um, you know, a vulva owner identifying as a man? Like now, like that's kind of complicated. And does it come down to just hormones or, you know, are we really going to be talking about feminine or masculine energy? So like, I get really like complicated with this idea. Well, for purposes of this conversation, let's talk about a biological man and the biological woman, because for the most part, that has been our experience for decades. And the concept of the he, she, vulva owner versus penis bearer are relatively new phenomenon. So let's just go back with our experience. Yes. Okay. I would create some space in our culture to lift up vulnerability in men and create a more like a, a just bring down that toxic masculinity and, and increase the amount of um, compassion And I think once you do that, then there's a safer space, but that then goes back to childhood and the way that you're raised. So one of, okay, always on these dating apps, right? When you're, when you're talking to people or even some of that's like coined questions are like, if you could have three wishes, what would it be? And for me, one of them has always been the universal and consistent an unconditional, maybe I use the word unconditional love, support, encouragement, and safety for children. And I I think if you go to all of our childhood and we were all given those things, we would be much healthier adults. We'd have less fear, less pain, less anger, less anxiety, less depression. Everything would get better if we went back to our childhood and offered that unconditional loving support and that then would feed into a totally different culture, you know, so I would maybe do that, but then that speaks to the parents who have to give, you know, it's like the sure. chicken it's, and the egg. Right. Generation after generation. So how would you have liked to been supported differently in your childhood? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a lot. Um, that's a fabulous question. Um, I, uh, two ways, and this maybe stems off a little bit from dating, but I always saw, I grew up in a very multiracial town, small town, middle of cornfields. 
um, mid-security mid prison right outside our school, so or right outside our town. And so that brought in a lot of what was Protestant white, brought in a lot of different races. And um, I've never looked at different races as less than, mm -hmm. definitely different. And in some ways I wasn't sure what that meant. And in some ways I didn't connect with them and their culture, but I never looked at it as less than. I was always kind of intrigued and I had friends of different races and that wasn't really supported by my parents. If anything, they were against it and not because anything had happened. It's just, it wasn't, you know, I'm out in the middle of cornfields in the middle of America. You know, we were there like super conservative, very rural, like, I think my mom said she saw her first black person when she was 22, you know, like this was just not something that they understood. Right. That's insane when you think about it, but, but, but yeah, I get it. Right. So I think um, that would be one way I would have loved to have been supported, not just in that, that's a really big one because I can get really riled up around race issues. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, but because there wasn't space for me to question things that made my parents uncomfortable. There wasn't oh. room. I, I mean, I just said that out loud. That's and really like, oh, interesting. That's a really good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Because I think I needed that space. I am super adventurous. I'm more of the ask forgiveness instead of permission. Like even with dating IRL, like I don't, I'm sure there's some cultural pretend rules that I'm breaking and I'm not even investigating. I'm just right. like, I got to figure this out. I got to fix this for people. And that's how I live my life. So I would lean in to lots of different races or people, the kids that got into big trouble and the kids that were super quiet and shy. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to explore. I was curious about everything. I still am. And there wasn't room to do that. I, I couldn't I just, I got in trouble all the time. I dated a guy in high school. I was, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, I should say, with a guy who bleached his hair. He was on the football team, you know? I mean, he wasn't, some of his grades were a little questionable, but um, they didn't know that, you know? Uh -huh. Like he just showed up at our house with bleached hair and my dad drove him home and said he can no longer see me. Like, wow, you've got to be kidding me. There was no room for any of that. Wow, so interesting. That, so they would have pushed you definitely to be the more rebellious type to kind of act out and swing for the fences, you know, is, is the firstborn, right? You're already have this preeminent position. And you're like, I don't need no man to tell me I can't go out with a guy with bleach blonde hair. Exactly. You know? Right. Wow. That's really, that's really interesting. So any other love and relationship misconceptions uh, growing up that you've had, even whether it be in college or, or we can say, hey, let's talk about the misconceptions of love and relationships within marriage, because that is a conversation, you know, we talk a lot about. Uh, yeah, there's way too much on that one. I just, I think I want to go back and speak to two things. Mm -hmm. the, the two biggest, I, I mean, I didn't get to take notes, but the two big things that I did write down were that I had to work for someone to love me. Okay. I feel like this is a really, really common, common, um, deeply seated belief that a lot of women have. Um, men have it too, of course. Uh, but I, I don't think as much as women do. Um, typically because men 
tend to be more of the avoidant attachment styles and women are more of the anxious. We've got this, this kind of parallel. It's not, it's not, and I, maybe I should find some stats on that before I say that, but I, I think, um, that is one. And then also that my body is for a man's pleasure. Now I haven't been, I haven't, um, I haven't, what's the word? Like I haven't rejected or I haven't, Mm -hmm. uh, not taken pleasure myself. I've enjoyed sure. receiving pleasure and I don't push that out. But at the same time, I just, that was like a byproduct of me being a great girlfriend of me being a great uh, wife was that I got to see him in all his glory and how happy he is and how sexy I am and how much he wants me. And like my head was totally in the wrong on the other side of like, just- that, that does seem to be an incredibly common occurrence because I can think back in high school, right? All the good guys, the kind guys, they might have been a little bit dorky and a little bit nerdy, but they were chivalrous. They respected women. They were always shunned and spurned by the girls in the same grade because they wanted the football players, the guys that were full testosterone. They always went after the players first, leaving the good guys behind. So that was always, I think, I think that's probably a common thing is that there was some really good guys at your school, but you chose the guy with bleached hair. Right. So there's also this, like, I like the bad guy kind of thing. Yeah. And that that's also a thing like that's for me, that's a misperception and a mis, you know, misunderstanding of what it means to be like an ideal person. And, and I get it. I mean, you know, guys are sure guilty too. They want to pick the girl that's super pretty or the one that stands out at the dance. And not necessarily the most rowdiest cheerleader one kind of thing, but just even that little girl that looked like from Mayberry RFD, the little one that kind of sat in the corner, but she, you know, Susie was so sweet, you know, but never got a date and things like that. So that's, that's really interesting. Wow. This is, well, this is great. You know, Rosa, honestly, we spent like almost 40 minutes just on one question oh, and really? we, we need to, um, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of your misconceptions? Cause we can, uh, I, I don't, I think we have to do every question has to be its own interview and, and this is excellent material. Yeah, no, you're right. Maybe, maybe I just have each person like pick a topic, um, to do, um, no, for my misconceptions, I, um, I think those are the two big ones. I mean, they've really like myself. I mean, think of how those two things play a role in self-worth. Yeah. It, it doesn't surprise me at all that I picked the person and, and my history and, and like the way I grew up with emotionally between my mom and my dad, like it, it makes perfect sense why I was dedicated to a man that really gave me crumbs of love every once in a while. And really just, um, yeah, just unbelievably not the right, not, not at all up to right. par for what I deserve. And I put up with it. I was still in love with him after so many years of emptiness, of feeling empty, feeling unseen. It didn't, it didn't even register me, register to me that that was a problem. And that's, that's the problem. Yeah. I can also see like, again, me growing up and having a career in a highly charged masculine environment where there was a lot of misconceptions on the man side saying, 
all I have to do is make money and go home. Like I'm just the provider. Like I don't need to engage with my family when I get home because I had such a tough day being the hunter gatherer kind of thing. Right. So, you know, for men to understand that, that their job as husband and father doesn't end at from nine to five, right. Once five o'clock comes home. I mean, once you land, you have to work until from five at night until 10 o'clock at night, just being there physically and emotionally and being present. And I think that's perhaps a message that's not shared with men growing up because I don't remember hearing that message. My dad came home from work and it was just like, he would just fall down on the floor and take a nap, like before dinner, after dinner, and then go to bed and rinse and repeat. And, you know, that was family life for us. Maybe that was that way for you too. But, you know, to be able to teach men that it's not, it's not nine to five, man, it's 9 a.m. till midnight. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, listen, uh, go ahead. I'm, you know, I'm, let's finish up this, this episode here, Laura. So I'm going to give control back to you. Uh, you can wrap it up and then we'll just, you know, do another episode uh, next. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. I really appreciate you doing this. And I, I know this is minimal uh, of good stuff compared to our talks on our walks. And I, uh, I know we'll, we should just keep recording all of our stuff because it's right. just a, such good stuff. But Yes. Thanks everybody for listening. I have apparently more vulnerability to share and we'll be giving you those uh, podcast episodes uh, one at a time. And we hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what we're talking about and want to join, write me at Larissa at datingirl.net or leave a comment below. Feel free to share this with your friends and family, maybe some singles or married people that might want to understand what it's like uh, across the spectrum for everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.